0: Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. So we're live. Good to speak to you, buddy. Good to, good to speak to you as well. Graham Brown, Carl Ellicott. Carl, I haven't seen you. for It feels like, I don't know, we spent quite a bit of time together in Hong Kong. That was the last we time did. we saw each other last month, right? Was that last month? Where are we? I don't know. Gosh. We've lost time. Yes. I've been traveling around. We've both been traveling. A lot. Let's talk about what's going on. Yes, so we last saw each other in Hong Kong, and right. we got to go on
1: a Hong Kong tour. Yep. Uh, we started our morning off in, in the, the Hong Kong airport, <laughs> as we talked about in the previous episode, um, that we were going to do it. We did it, so yep. everyone could be proud of us. Um, we, we had a ton of fun. We got to meet some startups yeah. and understand a little bit of what it's like to have to work in an airport. Um, <laughs> right. Then uh, headed off to the city and got to see the Hong Kong startup ecosystem, talked a little bit about um, what's happening in Asia, what's happening uh, with some of the experts um, in Asia, and what they're doing, what they see is going on, and spent some time at Meta. Um, That's
0: right. That was a good and, meeting and, uh, at Meta. We had um, yeah. Johan Nillander, the author and journalist. We had Ashley Galina, and we had, yes. who else? We had Alex Madonna, yourself, Kyle. We had Blake Larson. um yep. Don't want to miss anybody out. Ka- uh, Kapil Kane turned up later on. Yes. So it was yes. good. It was a good session. It,
1: it was totally great. And what was cool is we had, um, you know, we're in Hong Kong, which we've talked about on, on previous episodes is, you know, Hong Kong is such an exciting city because it's so, um, so transient. There's so many people coming in and out. So yeah. you get tons of diversity. And for us in our group, those that you just mentioned, um, friends of ours, um, we all come from different backgrounds. We're all focused on, on the growth of Asia, but um, all have our different perspectives on it. So uh, it was cool. We, we got the chance to sit down and, and share what we thought was happening in Asia or where we see Asia yeah. going, and then also got to share what we were each doing uh, in the space and how we could help and support. I mean, in one day— Right, you got to be like 20 people.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, the, you know, that's the thing about these cities, isn't it? Is that you can, I mean, it's the same as Singapore in a way. And Shanghai is a little bit like that, but it's much bigger. Is that you can meet people very easily. Like we had that meeting at Meta and straight after that, we met Jay Kim, who does the Jay yeah. Kim show, just downstairs. So you can do that in a place like Hong Kong or Singapore, mm-hmm. for example, because... You know, you don't have to travel three hours to get to somebody. It makes a big difference, especially, you know, when you've got that sort of compact, you know, network of people in your ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, I
1: think I started my day at 7 a.m. with you or 7.30 because I got in a little early and I didn't go to bed until almost 1 a.m. It was back to back meetings
0: uh, (laughs) the entire day. That was a good day. It was a good day. And then the conference.
1: Yeah and then uh, then we have the Startup Launchpad conference by Global Sources, yeah. which was non-stop, um, and, and for those we've talked about this on previous episodes, but as a recap, um, you know Startup Launchpad is now growing to be, if not already, one of the largest uh, startup conferences in all of Asia. Um, and I had the great honor of speaking there along with several others, and um, including Alex and Ashley. Um, and johan um
0: asia tech podcast find out more at atp.show
1: kapil was there as well right hey kapil yep so we had all of us um were are in town to speak and um the conference was great uh, a lot of insights on on where things are going and kind of give a quick timeline review so the the event itself the conference kicked off with about i think 10 or 12 startups pitching to myself and kapil and and a few other um as judges and so we got to see kind of the next wave if you will of of technology and startups Mm. coming out of the i would say the southeast asia or asia region Mm -hmm. Uh, wasn't specific to hong kong it was companies from around the world Um, and then after that we rolled into um different panels and keynotes and discussions about the asia century or
0: mm. oh, you know, a
1: big topic yeah and a, a topic you and i are talking about a lot is you know why asia matters yeah uh, and why it's it's time now to be paying attention or, or be making moves um mm-hmm. and that it's not too late so
0: Let's talk a little bit well, about those startups car what did you see well without you don't have to name names or anything but what was the kind of what did you take away from that, having seen those Southeast Asian and Asian startups? and What was your feeling? Because you, you live in the Valley, right? So you see yeah. what goes on there. Yeah. Comparisons, you know, is there anything interesting? Is there is there sort of more of a specific type of startup in Southeast Asia or Asia that you're seeing? Ooh, good question.
1: Um, you know, so the, the companies we saw, they did a great job of of, uh, of finding the best of the best, I think, they, of all the applicants they had, but it was a pretty diverse group. And, and what I saw a lot of was consumer products that um for the majority would rock the worlds uh of of the customers in asia mm. and only a few transcended to the Euro- u.s or european markets mm. and, and 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 that's okay right there, there should be products for different locations not everything has to be um fit every market which um Sometimes I I, I say otherwise, but in these cases, these were specific to their their regions. But what I did notice is they actually had learned off previously successful or failed business models. Mm -hmm. And so they weren't trying to reinvent the wheel from a business model perspective. Um, They had shown that they actually learned. So one that ended up winning this competition was uh, a device that allows you to create your own yogurt at home. Right. Yeah, I know these um, guys. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh it's not yo- yog yogmi or yomi.
0: Yeah.
1: I I'll, I'll I'll butcher it so we won't we won't say it, but um if I can find it we'll put it in the show notes. Um so they use the Nespresso model. Um and the idea that you can, you know, make your own yogurt, you can have these capsules and you can create yogurt at home. Mm. Successful business model across the world.
0: Um, another one, yumi okay. is They're called, right? They're Indian, I believe, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. 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 No, they're based yeah. on. I mean, I remember because they. I think it came from the founder wanted to make a lassi, which is kind of like a yogurt mixed with either mango or salt. In some cases, it's like a very Indian drink, but there wasn't anything yes. on the market.
1: Yes, and it, and and what they shared with us as, as judges was, you know, this is actually something that's very common. Um, in certain places around the world to, to make your own yogurt. And I didn't know that I, I made yogurt when I was in, you know, eighth grade science class and it tasted super sour, which, you know, is, 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 is the way that yogurt is unless you, you put stuff in it. And so it was kind of cool to see that type of business, Mm. but then leverage the Nespresso model, um, to, to gain traction or an
0: opportunity for, for profit. Um, but it's a yeah, hardware so it was, business, right? Well, was there a lot of hardware startups there? Obviously, you know, Hong Kong's yes. over the border from Shenzhen, which is you know mm-hmm. hardware ground zero in the world, right? So, what was going on? Was there a lot of hardware guys with all weird tech and drones and stuff like that?
1: So there was there was definitely a lot of hardware. I mean, you know, global sources or global sources who puts on this show is um, ha- has been in the hardware manufacturing, supply and distribution business for for a number of years so hardware sits at their core but at the same time uh i I started seeing an introduction of software Mm. or infrastructure based companies so blockchain was was well represented um we started to see a little bit in the audio and entertainment um and in some other kind of up-and-coming areas that um just kind of just showed the the diversity of not just the show, but broader of Asia's, you know, we're, we're not just about hardware. We're, we're about solutions mm. and we're about products, whether those are hardware, software, infrastructure, it uh, doesn't matter. We want to build something that, uh, is viable for a customer. And so for me, that one of the big takeaways I took from the show was, you know, not just that Asia matters. Again, we, we talk about that all the time and, um, it's that, lessons are being learned. People or companies are educating themselves on what works or what doesn't and starting to see what the market needs are versus just building to build. Mm. You know, just because you can build a product in a week doesn't mean you should. But if you can build a product in a week that has, leverages a viable business model and has a great customer
0: Rock and roll. So, I mean, how do they get on with the the pitch side of things? Because this is always a criticism, isn't it, of Asian startups is that they're very good at technology and hardware, but, you know, unlike the Silicon Valley founders, they they don't pitch naturally. It seems to be, you know, I mean, you go to school in America, you go to debate society, all those kind of things. Pitching is a part of your life almost, but Mm -hmm. for Asians, it's a bit of a challenge, isn't it? How did you find it?
1: Yeah, so the, the, the Asian market, I've, I've noticed the, the same thing. And what's very specific is when it comes to technology, co- the core of a product, it's, it's very heavily talked about. When it comes to the story um, mm. and, and the overarching vision, that's what uh, the Valley has done so well, right? You go, talk to, uh, you go to a pitch competition in Silicon Valley, and, and, and I can speak to both sides of this, is the Valley, it's, it can be very strong on the story side. Uh, which overpowers maybe the lack of technology, mm. or it can be very well rounded. Right? There's there's both. In in Asia, you typically have the overemphasis on technology and, and not so much the story. But that has changed dramatically in the past year. You know, from my time on the ground, um, uh, you know, years of my time knowing each other to the um, various amount of programs and accelerators and uh, ecosystem players that are really starting to have effect, um, you're starting to see that. You know, you've got accelerators like Brink um, and uh, uh, what is what is Tax? Oh, Xeroth. Uh, uh, yeah. Thank you, thank you. So you've got Brink, you have Xeroth, you, you have places like uh, these technology parks, you know, Cyberport and...
0: Right. You're uh, talking uh, about Hong Kong, places. right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, just in Hong Kong. I mean, you yeah. go to uh, China, you've got Hacks, You've got um, China, China Accelerator, you, X thank mode. you. Yeah, yeah. X-Node. You have all these people who are giving these lessons and education on this stuff, and you're starting to see it. You know, now yeah, yeah. of the ten pitches we saw, I would say the majority of them came with a strong uh, attempt at a story, mm. um, and a few of them really succeeded. The yogurt company, those guys. I mean, their story was just it was very strong Hmm. um to the point where you bought in there was two other companies that the same thing you just bought into this vision of what it could be and there was a few startups that um they they definitely definitely gave it a top effort and um we gave them some some tips and education on what to do and what to improve and i think they'll be amazing second time around but all in all the 10 pitches i would say that um maybe eight out of 10 or nine out of 10 really try to give the full story versus um, just focusing on, uh, on tech,
0: Interesting. Uh, which is
1: awesome. It also makes for a good, a good uh, situation to be in the audience.
0: Yeah. So w- what you're kind of saying is that the, the startups now that you're seeing in Asia are more or less picking up on what the accelerator should be doing. So the accelerators are working in that respect that they're, training these founders to tell a story and pitch, which is really, you know, a key part of that whole value add for a startup, isn't it? So they're coming out and whereas they're very strong on technology, they need that help from Accelerator. A lot of these Accelerators are run by people who've come from outside of Asia as well. That's something to add. So they've come from different ecosystems, right? So I mean, obviously Brink with Bay has come from like yourselves, San Francisco, China Accelerator, William Balbeans come from the US and so on. So that's really had an impact.
1: Exactly. And, and it's, it's exciting to see. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, I go back to 2015 when I first entered Asia and look at all that's been accomplished by entrepreneurs I've, I've met around and it's, it's true. The, the entrepreneurs, the ecosystems are, are definitely maturing, mm. um, at a rapid pace. I mean, you know, you go back to 2015, it's, it's three years ago. Um, and to see some of the types of growth, you know, we've all seen the metrics, but really the growth that's happening and, and being able to witness that and see those changes, it's, it's been phenomenal. Yeah. And I, I expect – so this show happens twice a year. So we're going to have another show in October. Um, and I expect to see the startups in October um, be even further along than uh, the ones that I saw uh, just a couple of weeks ago.
0: Mm. So one of the areas that people always ask me about when they talk about Asia, particularly China – is about AI and the sort of deep tech startups. AI, now we have the, the most valuable uh, AI startup in the world is is Chinese, the facial recognition company, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, did you see anything on that side? I mean, 10's not a big set of startups, but did you see anything interesting whilst you're in Asia on that sort of the deep tech side where you thought, well, wow, actually, these guys are really getting it over here because they've got access to mass, you know, they've got access to big data that, well, look at Facebook, what's happened there, right? The, the Chinese yeah. have access to data which, you know, only Western companies could dream of, right? Yeah, so so with that, you have the bigger companies who have the big
1: data access yeah. um, that don't necessarily, you know, give, have APIs or things of that nature that people can tie into to get the data. Whereas in the U.S., uh, you know, the Facebooks, the Googles, the Twitters, the data powerhouses, if you will... Um, Allow you to gather some of that data and, right. and do something with it, um, but uh, in, in China, that's that's not always the, the case as of right now. Um, I, I think that there's about to be a lot, a lot of call it that deep tech type companies, companies yeah. that are focused on you know machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, that and, and data mining that world is about to really explode, um, throughout China. And I've seen a few companies to date. Um, we've seen what the, the bigger corporations are starting to do, but now, um, I think things are really going to start to come together. And Mm -hmm. and the reason for that is, you know, you've got these trends, so artificial intelligence, we're now seeing the, you know, like you said, the largest AI company in the world is, is based in China, but that now Uh, It creates a waterfall effect of more companies wanting to participate into the growth of AI as a whole, Um, which when you have companies in AI, that filters down into hardware, that filters down into more software. And you get into areas like uh, autonomous, right? So transportation is big in, in Asia as a whole, and autonomous being the big driver, no pun intended, of that. That's going to create several data points. That data point, those data is going to need to be mined and understood and and helped trained or uh, learned from, which you know falls back into this deep tech world um, that I, I just I'm so excited about. I mm. could, talk all day but i think is it going to explode in
0: in asia right as well, let, let's talk China. about that that sort of overlap which is really exciting i mean let's focus on cars i know this is a thing close to your heart so let's talk yeah, yeah. about that because when you're from michigan right of detroit yeah, yeah. so it, yep. obviously it means something to you and your background as well coming from motor city right so yeah and um, there's something really interesting happening at the moment they've got these kind of i mean let's sort of set the scene for the listeners if you like and you've got on the one hand you've got this world of deep tech and data happening in China, where they're gathering billions and billions of data sets, right, about their consumers, whether it be like patterns of behavior or payments, facial recognition, whatever. Then you've got, there's this really interesting sort of, Flight of talent as well. I mean, this is really important for this kind of cutting-edge technology. And I, I read just the other week, Alibaba. No, so it wasn't Alibaba. It was. It was a some university, probably like Stanford or one of the, one of the top research universities in the U.S. And they were saying that they're having trouble now holding on to their professors and their their you know their their research alumni because Alibaba's just poaching them. It's just saying, hey, look, okay, right, you're getting paid two hundred and fifty thousand here in. California, why don't you come to China and work for twice that and work on a project which could affect billions of people? And these people are thinking, well, actually, that's quite a good option. So all these, you know, there's this flight of talent of these AI, like machine learning, patent recognition people to China, to Asia. Now you, you have this third area, which is like, they don't have a motor industry. And this is kind of important, isn't it? They don't have a motor industry saying, this is how it should be done. This is how it can't be done. So it's kind of like virgin territory. So let's talk Mm -hmm. about cars, Kyle, because you're from that part of the world. What's going on? Yeah,
1: I love it. By the way, this is the first time in a show I had to take notes. I was just (laughs) pulling out sticky notes of like, we got to come back to this point, this point. Um, So, yeah, so transportation. um, So after Hong Kong, after you and I hung out, um, I actually headed to Michigan. um, And this was a big topic of my trip in in Michigan was to talk – um, in the city of Detroit, in the heart of, of motor city or automotive industry, um, about the innovation that's happening in China and how the U S and China can work together, um, to push forward innovation, but also, uh, focus on the growth of transportation and automotive. Mm-hmm. Um, so super exciting topic. And, and what came out of it was to your point, you know, in, in China, Right now, the, the the heart of the the auto industry is up near Shanghai and Shang the Shanghai area, and, and in Shanghai there is the C- Shanghai Auto City, and it is this testing ground of everything automotive in in the Chinese or excuse me in the China based environment. Um, so that is that is one realm. Several automotive uh, manufacturers. Um, uh corporations oems software companies are all based there Mm. you come over to the u.s you've got the same thing in the valley um up and down you've got all uh, several of the automotive companies the oems both um from the east and the west based here to learn about innovation and then you go out to the midwest and a little bit in the east coast and particularly michigan you have a place called um M City, which is a fully autonomous setup city um, and testing ground where they've got kind of a fake city set up. Um, all the auto manufacturers, the OEMs, the like are there to test uh their technologies and environments in real time. So you've got these two different, but yet very similar worlds um, in an industry that has always had standards, and, and if anything, has always been forced under standards. Um, that now have to look towards innovation and now have to start breaking out of those standards. And China is very interesting, um, specific to Asia, because they don't yet have certain rules and regulations that we do in the U.S., right? To take a, a self, self-driving self car out on the, U, on the roads in the U.S., there's only certain states you can do it, and there's still restrictions there. And in China, you can just go. Mm, uh, unmanned? Un, un, un unmanned, I believe. Right. Um, I, I know from previous conversations, but you know, if someone someone sees differently, uh, um, that's that's awesome education for us. But um, there's just so much of a, a new playing field and mm-hmm. almost like a, a clean slate there to test this technology. Um, because the same regulations, the same infrastructure haven't been there for 100 yeah, years. Yeah.
0: The same Where, lawyers, right? That's exactly, a big exactly. part of it in the U.S., right? I mean, liability is going to be a huge issue in the U.S., right? Yeah, and the automotive
1: companies and the manufacturers when I was in Michigan, you know, that was one of their big things. It's like, yeah. look, we're, we want to do business and we want to work together to drive this industry, being transportation, with China because together we can create a clean slate. Together we yeah. can look at how this industry will shape and form and we can learn from each other because different consumers, but really just different environments and look at Michigan. For those that don't know, we have four seasons, but if you grow up there, you really only have two seasons. Um, and what I mean is either hot or cold, mm. but uh, <laughs> typically you have four seasons. So you have winter, spring, summer, fall. Each of those um, seasons come with very, very harsh conditions Um, a lot of times. So in the winter you can get very harsh road conditions from ice and snow. Um, in the summertime it can be super warm in the spring. It can be literally a combination of all the above, you know, uh, 20 degrees Fahrenheit one day to 70 degrees or 80 degrees Fahrenheit the next. And in, in China you have, um, in the South, you know, pretty warm, but rainy, uh, very tropical. And in the North you also have a, a seasonal type, um, environment to test in, and different road conditions, different types of drivers, um, just whole new needed mm. data sets. So
0: for is talent... It, it, I mean, just going back to that, the testing, uh, something you mentioned, which I was interested in, I wanted to clarify for the listeners, is that you said that working together, like so yeah. Michigan, Michigan and China, you know, American auto and Chinese auto, is, is there a scenario where they might say, hey, look, it, it's too regulated here to test this kind of tech in the U.S.? let's go to china and <laughs> test it there right out of the factory gate is that happening is that sort of a pipe dream or could we see a situation where that might be
1: no I, I actually think it's very much happening already right um so you, so it's a great point because in, in in china or excuse me in in, in michigan you have um end to end so you have idea of vehicle or feature set. All the way to production through manufacturing, and then out of out of the um, off the assembly line, right out on the, to the road in one state, um, which means you can control certain things, just as you can do in China. Um, but these these companies that are doing this, that are producing vehicles, so General Motors, Ford, you know, Chrysler, Fiat, uh, BYD, and and others, um, they're they're looking at facilities are looking at parts in in both areas Mm. of the world so absolutely um you know ford could say well you know we really want to try um this type of feature around autonomous in our new sedans with our partner baidu and this is just an example so just for, for all example purposes. And they could very much run that out of a uh, assembly line in China. Mm. Kick it out on the road, try it. Um, now, in most cases, that's not um, economically um, feasible because you know to produce one car doing one thing off an assembly line can be tough. But absolutely, can you still run and do these things without having to be in that location. so yeah, yeah. manufacturers and suppliers in Michigan can try something out in China without actually having to be there. but um, from all the conversations I had both parties actually want to be on the ground mm. some way. Uh, yeah. I mean we had, we had several um, uh, officials and OEMs and um, and an audience coming o- had come over from China to not just hear about what could be but also meet with people. Um, and start setting up uh, opportunities and in the reverse that was about to happen as well for people going over to China
0: to do the same Mm. so well how did how did the guys in in Michigan take that because I I, I don't I mean I I spent quite a bit of time in Chicago Um, I've spent time in Detroit those sort of more industrial type cities in the U.S. and my sort of you know the, the very sort of media, stereotyped image is like somebody like Norm out of Cheers. You know, it's the blue-collar <laughs> type worker, the union man. It's like, you know, very much protective of the jobs as you would get in any kind of heavy industry. So when you're going over there and talking about not just technology, which is disrupting the industry, but also China, which, you know, I mean, obviously we've had politicians bang on about China for long mm-hmm. enough. You, you can't sort of talk about China without some kind of you know, some kind of conversation being triggered. How, how did they tape that? Did they get it? Were they open? Were they resistant?
1: Yeah, So um, they were very open. It was a, it was a very open conversation. Um, if anything, it was um, just craving for knowledge um, and for people to talk very openly, um, to talk very unbiased about what, um, what opportunities exist, what could exist and what's happening. Um, which I was a little shocked about being born and raised there. Um, mm. and actually shared that insight, you know, had I, um, you know, had this conversation been had maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, when I was, when I was living there, um, I don't know what the perception would have be, had been, you know, versus today. Uh, it was actually very collaborative, very, Mm. um, very open. And and if anything, I I saw people or had people coming up to me or or to some of our other speakers, like those from the auto city in Shanghai and just asking questions of like, well, you know, what, um, what can we do or how can we do this? Can we replicate what we've done here and and put it there? Um, it was incredibly open of a, of a collaborative environment, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is exciting. (laughs) Eye-opening. I I, I wonder why. I mean, you know, like, take Detroit as an example. I don't know enough about it. But I – so, for example, a friend of mine, John Warniak, who runs CIMA, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, very close with the auto industry, told – you know, gave me quite an interesting insight into Detroit. He said it's been so crushed, you know, the industry Mm -hmm. has been wiped out, that all of that, that sort of traditional infrastructure has gone you know, all, yep. and the people that moved back into the city, a lot of creatives moved back into the city. You know, in some case, parts it's been gentrified, but you know, because it was cheap, because there was nothing there, it was a blank slate. So you know, yep. I don't know. I mean, wonder if that's had an effect on it, or you know, maybe people are just saying, well, we don't have a choice but to do this. So uh, it it has to do
1: with almost all, all three of those factors. You know, two thousand eight, the, the the crash hit and hit Detroit incredibly hard. Um, I mean, it hit, it hit Michigan and and everywhere hard, but it hit that auto industry incredibly hard, um, to the point where they had to look at uh, their business from, from the outside in and the inside out to saying, how do we not allow this to happen again? How do we, Mm -hmm. how do we expand our business? How do we, how do we make different revenue lines that were no longer dependent on just one? And so with that, it forced these companies, um, you know, it shook out some that may not have had much of a future left and then also shook out, uh, these companies to come up with new ideas mm. and open up their business models, open up their minds to what their future may look like. Because when, when the autos industry starts to evolve, um, and you know there's a lot of talk about self driving and ride sharing car ownership if If all those numbers stand true and you know we start to reduce our our ownership of vehicles, mm. what happens to these companies that employ tens of thousands right. if if they only have one one business and that's just to produce a car um, at the same time, their customer no longer demands just a vehicle they demand entertainment, they demand features. Um, and those features have to be integrated. And, and so what you saw is this, this change in an industry, this change in a city where, yeah, the city became very cheap. I mean, you know, the population dramatically decreased. There was a lot of restructuring that happened and it, it became almost a clean slate where, um, a a lot of people started moving in, started building up their, uh, businesses, their, their startups, their opportunities and, you know, technology flooded in. And, Um, investment came and and industry started to shift and change and they created venture groups to invest in these new technologies Um, and everybody played their role and today what you have is an an auto industry that's starting to grow and and see the pathway for innovation the need to work with with startups and to work on a global scale Um, startups and entrepreneurs and a state and in a region that see the need and benefits of being global an area that was so heavily known for automotive now being focused around medical devices or digital health to agriculture and mm. now starting to get into um, things like blockchain and, and ai um and looking towards the world versus just its local region and because of that you're seeing all this interest in in opportunity and all this interest of wanting to go, um, and share investment to share ideas and, and to collaborate on things. Mm -hmm. I mean, Oakland County, which is a very well-known County in Michigan. Um, I think they've actually taken 300 companies over to China and, and have these joint ventures between, uh, the County and, uh, uh, and businesses in China.
0: Wow. So there's they a ton- auto? I suppose they're related to auto in some way, aren't they?
1: Uh, I think it's auto and, and medical devices, wow. so digital. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the governor of Michigan, just to, to hit on one last point, is the governor of Michigan has made eight trips
0: hmm. between
1: Michigan and, and, and China, which is the most of any governor
0: hmm. previous. i would be interesting to see the data. I mean, obviously, listeners may know better than tweeters at Asia Tech Party. if you do know, is that which cities out there, which governors are actually doing this, right? Because that's what it needs. It sometimes, you know, we also talk about grassroots ecosystems and the Valley mm-hmm. being a great example, but it sometimes, you know, top down works as well. And it takes somebody, it takes leadership positions and that doesn't always come from industry, does it? Sometimes it takes yeah. somebody who's got a bit of a wider remit to stand up and say, hey, look, right, we need to do this. We're gonna take all you guys out to China. So you Mm -hmm. Oakland County, I wonder who else is doing this. I wonder who else out there, not just in the US but globally, is out there taking their startups to China or to Asia.
1: Well, and that's that's becoming a a common thread. And it goes back to you know, why Asia matters and the idea of being global and, and globalization is that you know today when you build this when you build your business or when you're industry starts to change you you need to look at working with people everywhere and not just right next door to you um and that's i think what's exciting you know to the asia point is is in some areas there are a clean slate Mm. um to test different things to to have access to new customers to look at innovation from from a new perspective and uh, it opens up doors in a crazy way and and it's totally top and bottom down i mean governments have to be involved to corporations to the investors to education to startups to entrepreneurs to everybody Mm. um you know we all have to be involved
0: yeah it's exciting times i'd like the idea that sometimes uh, you know something gets so broken that the only option is to start again and that is often quite liberating isn't it and you see Mm -hmm. like you say like Michigan, you've got like, uh, you know, that whole area of heavy industry, which has just been broken, like the last mm-hmm. 10, 10 years has just gone down. I mean, it was going down well before then, but, you know, yes. and now they said, right, okay, we just have to have a paradigm shift here. And in a way, you see that kind of in Asia as well. You have, mm-hmm. for example, I mean, you have sort of successful cities like Hong Kong, for example, which by comparison to other places in Asia doesn't have a really strong startup scene, right? I mean, because it has, you know, it also has real estate, it has finance, it has retail and so on, right? But, Mm -hmm. you know, it has those industries that attract talent. Whereas you go a place like China or Vietnam, for example. I mean, when we think about Vietnam, we only think about the war movies and history, right? But, you know, when Vietnamese think about Vietnam, they think about the future. They think Mm -hmm. about, and you mentioned it about that sort of optimism for... The future, right? I mean, I think Vietnam ranks number one in the world in those surveys of, you know, uh, are you more optimistic about the future than your parents, right? So that creates a generation of people like those people, I suppose, in in Detroit, who have, uh, you know, can only look forward, there's nothing to look back to. And that creates that sort of that momentum for change.
1: Yeah, well, I think I think you're seeing a monumental shift uh, across the world. Um, you know, we we of course see it a lot in, in, in startups, um, because we, we do a lot in that, that area. But if you look from startups to industry, to venture and to government, um, or we'll take government out and put education and university, uh, all of these parties are, are starting to open up their minds and yes, let's learn lessons from the past, but let's look towards the future of how do we work together? How do we be more open? Um, and and it's a bigger conversation I think than we've ever had, mm. um, which is super exciting. I mean, you look at transportation, you look at things like artificial intelligence, you look at, um, you know, the future of of currency, the future of money. You look at agriculture and and how we are um, going to create a sustainable food source for our ever growing population. You look at digital health. We have a, a huge aging uh, demographic in several countries around the world. Um, how are we going to handle that? How do we create, um, unique technologies or solutions that solve these problems? I mean, now more than ever, people are trying to come together on a global scale than, mm. than just trying to solve problems by themselves. It's exciting. It's very really yeah. exciting.
0: And you got your feet on the ground now? I do. I do. <laughs> um,
1: I I'm trying and I, and I think, um, it's, it's just going to get more exciting. It's just yeah. going to happen more.
0: Yeah. When are you back in Asia?
1: Uh, I'm back in Asia in just about a, a week or two. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Super excited. Good stuff. So, well, I mean, that's been fascinating. I mean, we just, uh, yeah. quick update really. And I, I think you're right. You know, it's like the, the you take an industry. I think auto the most exciting because it's it's open for the most change. It's the most traditional. You could just be in the auto industry, that vertical sector. But now, like you mentioned, auto, AI, big data, Mm -hmm. all those things now come into play and it can't just be in one place anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's requiring somebody with a different kind of mindset. I don't think you can train that. So maybe we just have to accept that the old guard won't get it. And it's now time for the younger people to come through who do get that. So, you know, they're the ones who can make the change. So it's just going to be fascinating how that's going to, turn out in the next few years and just, you know, think forward 10, 20 years, what the auto industry is going to look like. It will yeah. be, you know, Detroit in China. That's going to be the norm. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be incredibly exciting and without getting, you know, um, too excited myself, which I very much can do. Um, I, I think, you know, really to, to walk away with something at the end of this, this episode today is is just, as you said, be be open, be be open as, as a business owner, as a, an innovator, as um, an executive, or an or anybody, a consumer, be open minded and be that today and in the future, and some incredible things will will come
0: to it, become because of it. Great advice, cross border, mm-hmm. Kyle. Carl Ellicott and Graham Brown. We'll be back. Update on your travels. I suppose next time yeah, you'll be in Asia, so we can get an update again. Things would have changed yes. by the time you got back in those two or three weeks. I, I know, it'll be crazy. I'm excited, and there's some, some people
1: that uh, hopefully will try to um, find some time to, to jump on the show and share us share with us uh, a little bit of their insight as well.
0: Yeah, and, and by the way, if you're following Cross Border Carl, you've got your own domain name now, so... That redirects yes, to do. The, the podcast. So you want to share that? Yes. Uh, CrossBorderKyle.com. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Check it out. Uh, we've got all the episodes on there um, and got some unique content coming as well very, very soon. Just a little teaser. But um,
0: yeah. We'll be back. cough.
1: You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at ATP.show.